You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, guys. Next week is Easter. Yes, I'm excited. Uh, Easter and Christmas um, are big days for a church, and here's why. Because my neighbors are more willing to, to hear about Jesus. They're more willing to consider coming to church, and so I have a, a platform to invite them in to hear about the name of Jesus, to hear about who he is and what he's done on their behalf. And so I'm excited about Easter. I hope you are too. We have an amazing weekend planned, and I want to invite you as, as North Valley Church family to participate with us in the weekend. So you have a, a card, another Easter invite card on the back of it. it, has all the information about what's going on in our locations. So just to review real quick, we want to make sure we're all on the same page. So next Sunday, we're doing two services. That's different, okay? So don't show up at 10 o'clock, please. Show up either for the 9 a.m. service or the 10.30 a.m. service. Um, so we're, we're changing the service time so that we can invite more people to come, fill up the auditorium, hear about Jesus. Um, Ryan's working up a, a, an amazing resurrection um, sermon for us to share about the truth from Scripture as we know the story. Following Easter service here at Harkins, at 12 o'clock, we're kicking off our Easter spectacular event on our church property, and so we're excited to open up the campus to our church family and to our community and say, come and see what God is doing in the life of North Valley. Come and uh, continue to celebrate Easter with us, and we've got great family uh, fun planned. Um, and so here's, here's the reality, though. It takes a crew of volunteers to pull that off. So I know you guys think I just love a plain red t-shirt, but that's not why I'm wearing this today. I'm wearing it today because I can help, and you can too. So what we have is um, we want 50 volunteers to come out and help us, and so we have um, an amazing Let's Do This bucket donated by uh, Home Depot. This is our volunteer starter kit. So I've got a t-shirt for you. I've got a water bottle for you. I've got a lanyard for you that gives you everything you need to know. This is the um, let's do this event for dummies, okay? Because that's what it takes to get me in and, and doing this. So I invite you to join me uh, after service over at Elevate Coffee just for a quick 20-minute, 30-minute max um, volunteer orientation. You get your bucket. You get your T-shirt. Um, you know uh, where to show up and what to do um, for our Easter event and help us invite our community in and have a great family-friendly time where we can connect with people, um, talk to them about Jesus, tell them why we're excited to be a part of church. Um, that's what we want to do next week. So I invite you to come over. If you can't make it to the meeting today, that's fine. Um, on your Connect card at the bottom of your program, would you just write, let's do this on the back um, and drop it in the offering basket when it comes by? That way I can connect with you. Now, last week, that's what we said to do, but I'm just going to add one more piece of information because I want to be crystal clear, okay? If you write your name on here, would you give us either an email address or phone number? That way we can, I can actually give you a call this week. Just your name is awesome, but would you give me your email address or, and or phone number as well so I can connect with you and uh, we can um, help get you in because you're excited to participate and we want to make sure that we reach out to you this week, okay? Is that a deal? Awesome, guys. Well, hey, in that spirit, we are truly excited about what God is doing here at North Valley. We're excited about our brand new property that we're renovating um, we've, got a, we've had a lot of man hours go into that over the past few weeks and months, and we are excited to invite 
you guys, our church family, and um, our community out to see what God is doing at North Valley. Um, we had an awesome time last week, and so we want to continue this. We want to take just a few minutes um, of service this morning to have an open testimony time. And so what that looks like is we've got a couple of microphones on, on they are ready to go, and we want to open it up and just answer this question, what has God been doing in your life that you're excited to share with us? Um, Ian and, and Scott are on the mics, and so they're going to come up next to you. If you just stand up, say your name, they're going to hold the mic so that we can hear you real clearly. But what has God been doing in your life that you're excited to share um, with the church family this morning? Just raise your hand when you're ready. Yeah. Hi, I'm Christina. Um, our little three-year-old girl got really sick this last week, and it got really scary where we ended up having to rush her to the ER, and she's totally fine now. But there were about 24 hours that were really scary, and we just had so many people praying, um, just out of you guys here, such a, a great community support. I told Ian the day after um, that I felt like at any given moment I had just tons of people that I knew I could contact for anything from a coffee to friends bringing us dinner, um, taking our kit, the rest of the kids. It just was overwhelming how much support we had. We had people just there and knew that we could reach out to them at any moment. So thank you to all of you. And man, what a blessing to have a community like that. Great job, church. Great job. Hi, Todd. Good morning, church family. Um, me and Jerry prayed really hard a couple weeks ago. We had a friend who struggles with drugs and alcohol and mental illness. And he was staying at a facility and was getting released and didn't have a place to go. So we um, opened up our home to him, gave him shelter, gave him food. And God willing, God, by the grace of God, he's doing good. He's in a halfway house and he's sober and he's on his way. So thanks. Amen. God. Hi, uh, my name is Wes, and um, I, I didn't really prepare how I was going to say this, so I'm just going to try and spit it out. Um, over the last uh, eight years or so, nine years or so, uh, turning to the Lord and, and uh, living a life of sobriety has, uh, has put me in a position to, when, um, when family members are, are struggling and, uh, and children are suffering some, from some of the same things that I've suffered, um, God's put me in a position to be able to help. That's only through him. That's only through uh, his love, his grace, because um, I'm broken otherwise. I don't have anything to offer unless I turn to him and say, um, uh, I, I'm willing to help. And this church has been so welcoming and has introduced me to so many fantastic people in such a short amount of time that's only from God. There's no way there's coincidence <laughs> in that. And uh, my wife and I uh, and, our, and our extended family are just, um, just blessed to be here. Thanks. Thanks, Wes. Great job. I got, I got something real quick. Um, yeah. About a year ago, I invited my friends uh, Craig and Karen Neese and uh, my other friend uh, Matt and Stacy to join us for Easter service 
and we were meeting here, and uh, I was blessed enough to get to hear from them that uh, that has been a really influential switch in kind of their life course. So marriages are being healed, kind of uh, goals and fullness of life is being changed from chasing more vain things. And so last uh, Tuesday we had our neighborhood group, and I was overwhelmed by God just using me, because the same way, Wes, man, I agree with you, man, I don't have a whole lot to give. <laughs> I can lead him, I, I can point to Jesus, and that's about it. And so that's what we did. I mean, we brought him an Easter, and we just said, look at Jesus, isn't he great? And he changes lives and saves marriages, and they they did. And so now they're a part of the, the family, and Craig, uh, he helped pull the trailer for this, and he and his wife host our neighborhood group, and that is bringing healing to a lot of other people, too, so... It's good news. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's encouraging, church family. That is encouraging. What other stories can we share to encourage each other? Oh, yeah. There you go. It's <laughs> my mom. Um, I am learning all kinds of new lessons in how to ask for help, and how to realize that I am not self-sufficient, that I need other people, cannot do this. Um, I can do it with God alone, but he's brought me to a place where now it's really, (laughs) I got to have people because I got this broken ankle. So um, it's been a beautiful time to surrender at a new level, at a physical level. Level to God, to the help I need from my husband, and to all the support that we've gotten from family and community here at North Valley. Yeah. That's great to hear. Great to hear the church family um, both reaching outside uh, our, um, our immediate gathering here, but also reaching within the gathering here to serve and love and encourage each other. Maybe one more would like to share this morning. I can sit down, can't I? Okay, yes. Um, My name is Sarah, and um, I was at, uh, I love how God gives me opportunities to share Jesus, and I was at Sprinkler World on Monday, and uh, the young man behind, Sprinkler World, yes, I was there because I was getting... um, Roundup for my weeds. That really works. I could do a, uh, what could I do, a uh, advertisement? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but anyway, I saw the young man helping me behind the counter. His name was Yesu, you know, Jesus. And so I said, uh, I said you've got a great name. And uh, he smiled, and I said, uh, do you know him? And he said, I don't think so. And I said, well, he's changed my life. Mm. And then a young man, uh, somebody else was coming, standing in line, because I I am sensitive to other people standing in line waiting, so I don't keep talking. So I just gave him a, a little booklet called how to, how to Know God Personally. And I said, I'm not going to forget your name. And I said, I'm going to be praying for you. So I've been praying that he would come to know our Savior, the name above all names. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, yeah. Thanks for sharing, Sarah. So guys, it, as we're hearing these stories and as you're feeling um, the encouragement of a church family and what God's doing in your life, um, one... What I'd like to challenge you is don't let that stop with you. 
And so uh, thank you, Ian, for reminding us. There are families that are a part of North Valley that a year ago, somebody took the time, just a few moments, to see them and invite them in to something. Um, And a year later, we celebrate that they are a vibrant part of this church family, growing and ministering to others. And so I truly believe, the pastoral team truly believes that our community is just waiting for us to engage them. Um, and invite them into something this Easter that, that, that the Lord would transform their life. Whether you're buying Roundup or you take the minute to walk across the street when your neighbor comes home, think about who God might use you to reach out to this year and invite them into knowing, to knowing the loving, uh, life-giving Savior of the world. That would be an awesome thing to celebrate a year from now and look back to what God did this year. So I encourage you to think through that. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us beyond what we can comprehend, that your love existed long before we ever knew it existed, and in the midst of our trials and tribulations, your love was there with us. So God, this Easter, would you um, give us divine appointments where we uh, encounter people and have the opportunity to share with them about Jesus And that could even look like just inviting them to join us for a church service where the name of Jesus will be proclaimed and the testimony of the resurrection will be told. The story will be remembered. Um, So God, thank you for what you're doing in this church, in, in the lives of individuals as the church family comes around each other and is also reaching out beyond our, um, our church family to meet those that are in need. God, would you continue to bless those moments? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, church, uh, glad you're here this morning. Again, my name's Jonathan. I serve as one of the pastors here. Pastor Ryan, our lead pastor, is uh, taking the weekend off. Um, And so it's our pleasure to welcome Justin Anderson. Uh, Justin planted a church, I don't remember how many years ago, but in Tempe, Arizona. And it's a growing church. And then he uh, transitioned it over to the next generation of leaders. And then uh, he and his family moved out to San Francisco, California, and to plant another church successfully planted that church and over the course of three years transitioned it to a new generation of leaders as well. And so Justin is back in the valley and is focusing on um, theological and biblical training at Phoenix Seminary. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And um, what's really neat in all of this story is when Ryan and Leslie Rice were first moving into the Phoenix Valley about five years ago, uh, Justin was one of the local pastors that helped welcome them in and helped orient um, the team to uh, the Phoenix Valley and provided consulting and strategy and just some tidbits of information because uh, we, the North Valley started as a parachute church plant, meaning we didn't rise up out of a local church here. And so it's amazing when you move into a city and you find other pastors and leaders that say, hey, I'm excited you're here. Let me help you get started. And so Justin was one of those key individuals for us getting started. And so it's our Pleasure to have him come uh, open the Word of God with us this morning. So, Justin, welcome. Thanks. We'll turn it over to you. All right. Well, good morning. Um, I can't really see y'all because of the spotlights. And uh, uh, I remember in the early days of our first church uh, down in Tempe, we met in a in a theater similar to this one. Uh, it was a Harkins actually as well in Tempe, right on Mill Avenue. And uh, the worst thing about being in the theater, besides all the setup and teardown, was the acoustics are so good that you can't really hear each other. And, uh, and, and especially, I can't hear you laugh at all the hilarious things that I say. And um, so that's really the worst part of this morning, uh, 
is that I can't hear you laugh and I can't see you. So it's like, it's like I'm talking to myself. I actually can see that guy. So just keep laughing, bro. Um, I, uh, I have a family. They're not here uh, because y'all are in South Prescott and uh, they missed their flight uh, from Tempe. So um, they, they, uh, they're not going to be here. But uh, I have a wife. I have four kids, uh, seven, four, three, and one. And uh, they uh, are way cuter than your kids. And uh, so that's kind of all I know. So uh, we're in James chapter three, very, very excited to just be able to continue the series you all have been in. So if you want to turn to James chapter three, uh, we're going to do the first 12 verses there. So while you turn there, um, first of all, sprinkler world sounds amazing. Uh, I've never heard of such a place, but uh, it sounds incredible. It bums me out a little bit to know that there's Roundup there, uh, just in the sense that that seems opposite uh, of sprinklers uh, in terms of their purpose. But uh, also, I like to just envision walking into a gigantic building of only sprinklers. Uh, So it's a disappointment to know that's not what it is. So James chapter three, we, um, we're talking about a, a subject that can be a very um, uh, kind of read through flyover kind of subject, right? So you read through James three and it's about words. It's about the things that you say. And it's, it, it's kind of one of those yeah, yeah, yeah kind of passages like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, words are a big deal. Uh, that, that really matters. Uh, but then you just kind of keep going because we talk so much and we, we type so much that uh, words are just kind of, they are the background noise of our lives. And so passages like this are either, we kind of have two choices with it, I think, um, either kind of flyover passages where we go, oh, yeah, I got to remember that words matter. Or they can be, passages like these can be um, deeply, deeply transformative because words are such a big part of our lives. And, and especially now in, in the world of internet and social media, um, we are producing and consuming more words than we ever have, than human history ever has. Literally, today, there will be more words written than any day in human history. And today will be exceeded only by tomorrow, okay? And the next day, and the next day. Just the the scope and volume of words communicated in our world just is growing unbelievably every single day. And so um, a, a moment like this can be, if we let it be, a really sobering reminder and corrective for the way in which we use our words, the words themselves, the content of them, the means by which we communicate, really all of it. And so um, what I want to do in this passage, I think these 12 verses uh, show us four things about our words. I mean, it's probably more, but uh, I got time limitations, so we'll go with four. Four things about our words that I want to connect to four questions that I'd like us to ask ourselves uh, before we speak. Okay, so four things that, that this passage says about our words connected to four questions I'd like us to ask ourselves before we speak or, or type. I'm going to do this a lot. Um, so just, get, just know that when I do this, it just means type, okay? Because you probably do as much of that as you do speaking anymore. So chapter three, verse one. Not many of you 
should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Stop there. The immediate context of this verse is absolutely definitely for official capacity teachers. And I think because it's the Bible, it's probably official capacity teachers in the church. There's no question. That is the immediate context. And especially for James's audience, which is a primarily Jewish audience that has converted to Christianity. And so they're bringing kind of ideas and hangups about what a teacher is from Judaism into Christianity. So in Judaism, the rabbi, um, it, it literally means great one right? Like these were extremely revered people in the Jewish community. You had to walk down a a very difficult and narrow road to be able to become a rabbi, right? In fact, um, I I read in one commentary that there was kind of a a, a custom or secondary law. It's not a biblical law, but it's a customary law that if your parents and your rabbi were both kidnapped, you had to free the rabbi first, which as a pastor, I think is very wise, okay? And I think some of that should transfer over. But, but this, this underscores a little bit the, the power and the position of authority that teachers had in this community. Now, um, as things transition, these people transition out of Judaism into Christianity, and there's a little bit more freedom around who teaches and the context in which they teach, there's no doubt that many men and women who you know, didn't want to walk down the path to becoming a rabbi now see all these opportunities to teach and are, are striving for them. And so James warns and says, hey, easy there. Don't, don't aspire to teach too quickly because those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, that's absolutely the immediate context of this. And yeah, we can extrapolate a little bit because there's really nothing that we say that doesn't teach. Now, especially those of us who are parents, raise your hand if you're a parent. Right, so everything we say to our kids is teaching our kids, right? for better or for worse. It's actually the absolutely most terrifying thing about being a a father is that I know everything I say to my kids and the way in which I say it to them is teaching them what matters about the world. It's teaching them what matters to me. It's teaching them the order in which I value certain things in the world. All kinds of things. So there's, yes, this is about teachers who are teaching in an official capacity because there's a relationship between authority and responsibility. So as the official capacity of your teaching rises, so too does the responsibility you have for the words that you say. Absolutely. But even down at the bottom end of authority and responsibility, this is still true that your words teach and that when you teach, you bear responsibility for the things that you're teaching. So that's number one. For those of you who are note takers, outline makers, my words teach. My words teach. Now, um, one of, and this is, this is a huge pet peeve, the whole social media internet thing, I'm, I'm a resistor. Okay, uh, I'm not an early adopter. Uh, I'm not a late adopter. I'm I'm an active resistor. Okay, uh, of all of this stuff because I just I think we underestimate the danger 
I think we underestimate the influence that we have and that we've given to others by engaging in social media. So some of the, some of the voices I wish were heard least in the world have the most followers on Twitter. Right? So the amount of influence, I mean, it used to be that if you thought somebody was bad or dumb or, or did something stupid, you're the, the best, most influential thing you could do would be to tell all your friends. And that's like nine people for most of y'all, right? Maybe... You could also like saddle up to the bar and tell the bartender and he tells people. I mean, it's like the, as culture changes, uh, that influence has changed. Now you can just kind of tweet or Facebook or something and, and you have way more than nine friends on Facebook. You've got literally dozens that are listening to you or hundreds or thousands. Probably most of y'all, it's dozens but expands our reach, right? And so each of these things that we write, they, they teach the people around us, they influence the people around us about information, about values, about emotions, about wisdom, about ethics, about direction, about all kinds of different things. That everything we say and everything we type has influence and we are responsible for it. So if number one is that my words teach, say it with me, my words teach, let's try it again, my words teach, then the question I want you to ask yourself before you say what you say or type what you type is, is this the truth? Is this the truth? And not, as, as some of us are, are wont to do with our words, to go, is this technically false? That's a different question. That's a different question, right? Well, I mean, it doesn't actually, I didn't, I'm not lying, right? That, uh, that's not what we're asking. Is this the truth? Is it the truth? Number two, verse two. It says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man or woman, generic term. He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Stop there. How can that possibly be true? That's quite a statement from James, right? If somebody can bridle their tongue, if they can control the words that they say, then they can control everything. That seems impossible. That, that, that seems like an overstatement, right? Like normal preacher overstatement kind of thing, right? But think about it. The Bible tells us in John 1, 1, that the son of God is called the word. In Hebrews 11, chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, the universe was created with the word. Hebrews 1, 3, all things are held in existence by the word. 1 Samuel 3, 21, that God reveals himself to us through the word. Hebrews 3, 13, faith is sustained by words. We fellowship with God by the words of prayer. We worship him through the words of song and confession and preaching. 
Our relationships are all sustained and nurtured by words. Politicians rise and fall by their words, or at least they should, but some seem immune recently. Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verse 37 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. So number two, my words lead. My words lead. Say it with me. My words lead. He continues in verse three, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The words that we say lead our lives and the lives of the people around us in significant directions. Little words, little phrases can fundamentally change the direction of your life. For instance, I love you. Will you marry me? I'm pregnant. It's a girl. Terrifying. I have bad news. You should sit down for this. I hate you. I'm leaving. You're fired. You're worthless. It's cancer. And on and on and on. Think about how those tiny little phrases fundamentally shift the course of your life. So many of, of you in this room have been shaped by moments in your past where you were told things that you still hold deeply as part of your identity. You were told that you were worthless or you told that you were everything. You were told that you had a future or you were told you might as well drop out of school. You were told how great you were or you were told how terrible you were. You were told you could do this or should do that and you did and it shaped your entire life. I've been a pastor for nearly 15 years now. And I can't tell you how many people that I've met in their 50s, 60s, and 70s who, when they tell their story, can pinpoint moments in their teens and 20s where somebody said something to them that dramatically shifted their lives in a new direction. My words lead. My words lead. So we ask ourselves the question, where will it lead? The things that I'm about to say, the things that I'm about to type, where will they lead? How, what is the next step from this? If I say this to that person, where will they go? How will that shift? How will that change? How will that affect the course of their lives? How will this phrase in marriage 
shape our relationship. If I build her up or tear her down, where will this lead? Number three, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's a lot of negative. That's a lot of negative. Because certainly our our words have the power to build as well, right? We can say things to people and they will lift them up and they will set them on the right path. We can say those things. And yet, and yet, my guess would be, educated guess from my own personal life, from my experience as a pastor, that when we look back on our lives and, and think about the things that were said to us that most affected us, my guess is the things that really cling to us are those negative things. I remember early on uh, in my professional career, my first, my first real job that I ever got, and, um, I, I was preaching at a church. I was a college pastor. And I remember uh, I delivered my, my very first sermon. I came off stage and talked to people. And the, the next day, uh, my boss, our pastor, came and said, hey, you did a great job. I really liked this. I thought you handled the text well. You communicated well. Uh, you know, gave me probably five, six, seven, eight great, you know, encouraging things. He goes, but here's, here's, here's one thing I think you should really consider doing different next time. Later that night, I was laying in bed awake at one, two o'clock in the morning. Which of those things do you think I was thinking about? Uh, statistics show that anywhere from uh, uh, the ratio of good to bad needs to be anywhere from three positive comments to outweigh one positive comments all the way to the other side of the spectrum. One study says it's 60 positive comments to outweigh one negative. And my experience, or I'll just say my heart tells me it's closer to 60 than it is three. Do we just remember those things, those harsh words, those cutting words, those words that destroy. So number three is my words destroy. Say it with me. My words destroy or build. My words destroy or build. James uses fire as an example because it's something you can't undo, right? Once something has been burned, it's burned. You can't unburn something, right? You burn a tree, you burn a stake, it's burned. You toss it out, you give it to the dog. It's done, right? Fire is an example of something you can't undo and is hard to control. You can't unsay a critical word. That's why when our, in our culture, celebrities make apologies for something they got caught saying unaware, it's a complete waste of time because you can't undo it. And they probably don't mean it anyway, but that's beside the point. You can't undo it. They said the thing. 
about another person, about a people group. You can't unsay that. Now, can there be healing? Can there be growth? Absolutely, 100% of the time, but you can't unsay it. Winston Churchill said, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to get its pants on. I think there's some inaccuracy in that. I don't think the truth wears pants, but it is a great quote otherwise. One ancient uh, document called Ecclesiasticus says this. It's not from the Bible, but it is, uh, I think, really brilliant and cuts to the heart of this. It says, curse the gossips and the double-tongued, for they destroy the peace of many. Slander has shaken many and scattered them from nation to nation. It has destroyed strong cities and overturned the houses of the great. Slander has driven virtuous women from their homes and deprived them of the fruit of their toil. Those who pay heed to slander will not find rest, nor will they settle down in peace. The blow of a whip raises a welt, but the blow of a tongue crushes the bones. Many have fallen by the edge of the sword, but not as many as have fallen because of the tongue. Happy is the one who is protected from it, who has not been exposed to its anger, who has not borne its yoke and has not been bound with its fetters. For its yoke is a yoke of iron and its fetters are fetters of bronze. Its death is an evil death and Hades is preferable to it. As you fence in your property with thorns, so make a door and a bolt for your mouth. As you lock up your silver and gold, so make balances and scales for your words. Take care not to err with your tongue and fall victim to one lying in wait. Power. Incredible power in our words. James takes the negative and says it has incredible power to destroy. And I think in large part because that's, we can all tell stories about that. We maybe can't all tell stories about when words really built us up and encouraged us, but every single person in this room could tell stories about when a word cut us to the heart and lingered with us for years. One of the dumbest things any child has ever said is sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Man, the wounds from sticks and stones are nothing compared to the wounds of a word. So the question we ask, will my words build or destroy? Will it build or destroy? Number four, verse nine. With it, the tongue, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Stop there for a minute. This is an important piece to this. He says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, just like we did with Ian in the band a moment ago. We sing praises, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And then we pack up our family and get into the car and we start to drive away and we go, well, I mean, that, uh, that preacher was just all right this morning, right? I mean, he clearly hasn't ironed his shirt in a week. Right? 
I, I think one of the most important pieces for us to understand in all of our communication is this. The people on the other end of our words are people. Even politicians, technically. They're people. They're just human beings. Even more than that, James says they're not just human beings in that they're like sentient beings created by evolution. They are image bearers of God. So he goes, let me get this straight. With the same tongue, we praise God and then we destroy God's creation. We curse those who walk in the image, of likeness, image and likeness of God. God, you're great. Your creation is scum. With the same tongue. We have to remember. We have to remember that the people on the other end of our words are people. And that is easily the worst thing about the internet. Is that it completely dehumanizes the other people we're talking about. It separates their name from their heart, from their eyes, from their face, from their body, from their soul, from their mind. It separates them and it allows us, that dehumanization allows us to say things on the internet that we would never say to their faces because we would not be able to bear the look of hurt that would inevitably flash across their faces when we say what we say. So what results from that is the absolute dumpster fire that is online comment sections. Where people say the most horrific things that they would never say to another person face to face. But they're not a person. In that moment, that other person's not a person. They're a name. They're a, they're a screen name. They're an avatar. They, they are, they're a Twitter handle. They're a, they're a thing. They're not a, not a person. And so James is so right here to draw our attention back to the fact that our words are words about people. Just like you're a people. You're a person. We know how that feels when those words are back at us. But he goes on. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? And the answer is, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. That's as close to, uh, as the Bible gets to a mic drop, as you're going to see. Right? He goes, um, can a fresh spring produce salt water? Oh, oh no? Oh, okay. Uh, can a, can a uh, uh, fig tree produce grapes? No? Okay. Then neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Mic drop, what's that mean? That what's coming out of you is what's in you. Number four, my words reveal. 
my words reveal what's inside of me. My, ver- my words reveal what's inside of me. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. He says, if, if out of your mouth comes praise to God, and then out of your mouth comes curse of God's creation, you are who Pastor Ryan talked about probably the first week in James 1.8, the double-minded man, the hypocritical person who is, who is tied up and twisted up and double-minded and kind of goes with the flow of what's in the moment and going with whatever's around it and swayed left and right. That, that, that reveals, that hypocrisy reveals what's going on inside here. And so the question we ask ourselves is, what do my words reveal about me? Right before I speak, right before I type, what does this reveal about me? First, is it the truth? Second, where will it lead? Third, will it build or destroy? And fourth, what does this reveal about me. In the end, it's your responsibility to think through the implications of your words because it is your responsibility what the effects of those words are. You are responsible not just for the words themselves. You can't say, well, I said that and they took it how they took it and that's not my fault. They took it how they took it. They get to choose how they take it. You're right, they do get to choose how they take it, but you bear responsibility for the words you say and the effects of them on other people. It's on you. Jesus told us that. We read that earlier. That we will be held responsible for every careless word that we say. And so we ask, is it the truth? Where will it lead? Will it build or destroy? And what does it reveal? Now, James is the closest thing we see in the New Testament to wisdom literature, right? I'm sure Pastor Ryan's talked about this. The form of it is, is somewhat like episodic, right? He kind of jumps from idea to idea the same way uh, Solomon does in Proverbs. And so we see in this episode, these 12 verses, James giving us wisdom about our words. And so these four questions, I think, will shape your words if you actually ask them and if you actually respond to the actual answers of those questions I think they will shape your words in really important ways so that your words are more life-giving to other people. But like wisdom literature, James only implies the big so what, right? He doesn't actually give us kind of the end of the story, right? He leaves us hanging by saying, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water, implying that whatever is going on out here is the result of what's going on in here, So if the movement of our lives goes from inside to out, then the ultimate uh, end or the ultimate solution to those problems is also inside out. 
The implication here is that we need something more. We need something deeper. That if what's coming out here is actually just a revelation of what's going on in our heart, that we need something or someone that can get to the heart, transform the heart, so that what comes out of our mouths is the result of a transformed heart. So is it any surprise that Jesus, in John 1, calls himself the Word? Is it any surprise that the most powerful tool that God has given to humanity, that his Son, the Savior of humanity, would take that identity on? So when we ask ourselves, is this the truth, don't you think we have to ask ourselves not just is what I'm saying a true statement, but is this an embodiment of the truth? Big T, truth, word of God, Jesus. Is this about Jesus? Is this in line with the gospel? Is this the result of a Jesus transformation in my own heart that works itself out into my speech? Right? We, we see in the scriptures that Jesus is the word. He is the truth. He tells us that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We see that Jesus leads us into righteousness. Jesus, the word, leads us into righteousness. That Jesus, the word, builds us up. That Jesus, the word, reveals the Father to us so that we might be saved. That, that's the deeper foundation of this. Yeah, do your words need to be true? Absolutely. Do you need to consider where they lead? For sure. Do you need to be aware of whether they build or destroy? Yes. Do you need to do the self-diagnosis of saying, what does this reveal about me? Absolutely, 100%, always. But a step deeper than that is to remember that the people around you, they don't need you. They don't need your words. They don't need your wisdom. They don't need you to lead them. They don't need you to build them up. They need Jesus, the word, the truth, who does the real building, who leads us into paths of righteousness, who reveals to us both our sin and our great loving father. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the word. It is your truth that we need, that our friends need, that our family needs. And we can lead them into life insofar as we lead them to you. We can build them up insofar as we introduce them to you. We speak the truth to the degree that we speak of you. And Lord, I pray that our words would reveal you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.